We're going to look at a subject this morning called boastfulness versus brokenness. And it's found, I believe, in the parable that Jesus tells in Luke chapter number 18. We're going to read from verses 9. Luke 18, look at verse 9 in your Bibles. And he spake this parable unto certain which trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. Two men went up into the temple to pray, the one a Pharisee and the other a publican. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus within himself, God, I thank thee that I am not as other men are, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, <clears throat> idolaters, uh, sorry, adulterers, or even as this publican. I fast twice in the week. I give tithes of all that I possess. And the publican, standing afar off, would not lift up so much as his eyes on the heaven, but smote upon his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone that exalteth himself shall be abased, and he that humbleth himself shall be exalted. Let's pray. Father in heaven, Lord God, we do come before you this morning and ask and pray, Father, that you would bless your word to our hearts. Lord, I pray if there be anyone in this room today that doesn't know you as their own personal saviour, that you would use this parable in their heart to show them their need, dear God, for your son. Father, we pray that you would continue even to bless your people, those that have trusted your son, that they would know and understand, Lord God, what it means to have mercy upon those that are lost. We pray that you would continue to encourage us through your word and build us up in the faith. And Father, I do pray for those that cannot be with us today, those that are sick. We pray that your hand of grace will be upon them, seeing them through their illness. In Jesus' name, amen. One of the most important subjects that we can ever simply deal with is as finite beings is this subject of eternal life life after death we live in a society that is careless about this subject as a matter of fact it's seldom talked about no one really wants to think about the afterlife you hardly hear the truth about heaven and hell taught in schools in universities and even in some christian colleges today the most vital subject that we can ever deal with with the mortal soul of a man is neglected even in so-called churches today as a matter of fact the opposite is true in our modern day society in Christian churches today uh, the philosophy of this world and religious organizations uh, teach that you can have your best life now and you are mr. wonderful and it's all about you this is what we see today taking place the reason why eternal life is a serious subject that most people do not address and should be addressed and taught is firstly because the life that we have now is temporal it's not going to last as a matter of fact everybody in this room and this world one day will die hebrews 9 27 says it's appointed on a man once to die and then after this the what the judgment every single one of us has a birthday and every single one of us has a death day everyone will die and stand before God Paul the Apostle says as with the other Apostles that we do not look to those things that are seen those things that are temporal 
Uh, our, our gaze are not on earthly things, but rather we, we look upon those things that are unseen, those things that are eternal. <clears throat> and so this is why it's important to teach on eternal life and the things that pertain to life everlasting. Second of all, the reason why it should be taught is not only that life is temporal, but life is short-lived. It's short. Uh, I mean, if you compare this life to eternity, there's a big difference. I mean, think about the lifespan of a person. The average lifespan of a person is about from 70 to 80 years of age. If you're blessed, if you're blessed, 90 to 100. I say if you're blessed because you could live those years just down and out and depressed because of the frailty of your body. But let's just say you get about 80 years. Now, compare that to eternity. It's nothing. It has nothing on in everlasting life, life that is never ending. Now, God compares our life here on earth like grass and a flower. First uh, Peter 1.24, for all flesh is as grass. All flesh, all people uh, is as grass. He says, and the glory, of, uh, the glory of man as the flower of grass, uh, the grass withereth, the flower thereof falleth away. So the grass grows, it dries up, and then it withers. It, it's gone with the wind. The flower grows and blossoms, but before you know it and before you can really enjoy it, it fades away or it dies, it falls. That's how God pertains our life to be. It's one minute you see it, the next minute you don't in comparison to life everlasting. Now the third reason why life eternal should be taught is because of this. The life here on earth is full of sorrow and suffering. However, the new uh, uh, place of eternity that we, we would be positioned in is a place of no sorrow, the Bible says. Uh, no death, no pain. Uh, we, we, we hear it today. Uh, many people blame God for the, for the sickness, sorrow, and suffering that this world goes through. Uh, I heard it yesterday. Uh, a man I was trying to encourage, he said he's got about 12, the doctors told him that he's got about 12 months to live. Uh, and uh, I said, trust God. And he began to swear at God and said no. And he began to swear and telling God to, uh, you know, you can just use your imagination. And uh, he said, why did God give me cancer? And I couldn't even reply to that. But what he doesn't understand is this, that our world is full of sickness and disease, sorrow, pain and heartache and anguish because of sin. We live in a sin-cursed world. We live in a world that is full of corruption because the heart of man, guess what, is wicked. That's why. Don't, don't blame God. This is the worst thing that you can, you can ever do is blame God for the sinfulness of man and the corruption that we see take place today. But let me just say this to you. If this man really understood the grace of God and what God has planned for those uh, that love him and those that are in Christ, in Christ we have a new life. In Christ we have a new name. In Christ we have a new body. Listen, in Christ we have a new home. Paul says to the Romans, for I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. Did you know that there will become a time that God will make all things new according to Revelation 21? John the Revelator sees in the future and he sees in a new uh, Jerusalem, a new heaven, a new, uh, new earth. 
that the first heaven and the first earth will pass away. One day this world is going to be destroyed because of the sin of man. God will utterly destroy it and there will be a new heaven and a new earth. And the Bible says this in verse 4, And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, neither sorrow, nor crying, neither shall be there any more pain, for the former things are passed away. And he that sat upon the throne said, Behold, I make all things what? New. And he said unto me, Right, for these words are true and faithful. This is why eternal life should be taught, because God has plans for those that love him and come to Christ with all their heart in the future life, eternal life, to be with him in heaven forever. Now, to me, it's a beautiful thing. But how to get there is the question. How to get eternal life is the question. There was a rich man that came to Jesus, called him good master, and he said, Master, what good thing must I do to inherit eternal life? And he, he thought that he had to do something in order to inherit or earn eternal life. Now, that's the most common denominator today. A lot of people think that they have to go to church, read their Bibles, do light a candle, give money, do this, do that, in different various religions, by the way, not only Christian tradition, uh, to earn God's favor uh, to get a place in heaven. But the opposite is true. There's nothing that we can do by ourselves in order to earn eternal life. God is the gift giver of eternal life and he made a way. And I want to teach about this uh, this morning. I want to talk about this parable before us. Jesus is dealing with the subject of justification, uh, which is a requirement to enter into heaven and escape the fires of hell. In other words, Jesus helps his hearers uh, know and understand how a person can stand completely innocent as guilty sinners before God. Now think about that. How we can stand innocent as guilty sinners before God. And this is what this parable is all about. You see, what, what you must understand is, is that we are all sinners and we've all fallen short of God's glory. The Bible says very clearly, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And the Bible says, for the wages of sin is what? Death. But, look at this, but the gift of God is what? Eternal life through who? Through Jesus Christ our Lord, not through an organization, not through a system, not through religion, not through even Christian rituals that people hold on to, like infant baptism and so forth, of uh, confession and communion and all these things. No. Uh, eternal life is a gift given by God that is provided through His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. I want to point out three main things from this parable. I want to point out the cause of the parable. Why did, uh, why did Jesus give this parable? And that the characters within the parable... Jesus compares two different classes of people in the parable. He shows how one of them was trying to justify himself by himself before God. And then I want to talk about the central truth of this parable. Uh, what is the main thing that Jesus was teaching those that were listening to him regarding the things of eternal life? Let's look at the first today together. The cause of the parable, verse 9. Have a look. Why did Jesus give this parable? Well, this parable is directed to those who are trusting in themselves in order to be justified before God. Verse 9, Jesus introduces the parable by giving a brief description of a man who had a prideful religious attitude. Number one, he was self-confident. 
Look at verse 9. And he spoke this parable unto a certain which what? Trusted in themselves. So the whole point of this parable, why Jesus gave it, was to direct it to those people that were trusting in themselves, that were self-confident of being justified before God to get to heaven. This is he, he was dealing with people that were religious and not really trusting God for their eternal salvation. They weren't trusting uh, in the one that provided salvation. They weren't God confident. They were self confident. They were trusting in their own ability and their own strength and in their works. From verses 11 to 12, you, you will find the word I repeated about five times. He says, I thank thee. I am not as other men. Verse 12, I fast in the week. I give tithes of all that I possess. Similar to what we heard last week, wasn't it? The rich man that builded uh, his barns and the same taste and flavor of Lucifer. I, 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 I. And that's the problem with a self-confident person. It's all about I, I, I with God out of the picture. Second of all, he was self-righteous. Not only self-confident, in verse 9, he spoke this parable, and it was certain which trusted in themselves that they were what? Righteous. He was self-righteous. Uh, people who are religious are trying to earn their way to heaven by their own merits or self-righteousness. In other words, they esteem themselves to be righteous before God in their own eyes. And by the way, it was all outward. It's an all outward show because God knows the hearts. The Pharisees and the religious people justified themselves on the basis of what they did or didn't do. In, in, in other words, it was self-righteousness. Look what I haven't done and look what I have done. And so there are many religions that teach this today. What you have to do in order to get right with God and what you don't have to do in order for God to accept you. And that's far from being true. And so, thirdly, he was self-arrogant. He spoke this parable uh, to, unto a certain which trusted in themselves that they were righteous and, look at this, despised others. Despised others. That's self-arrogance. People who uh, are religious have a holier-than-thou attitude. They look down at others. They're condescending. They think they're better than others. They, there's no room for love or mercy or compassion. They have their nose uh, lifted up and uh, smirk or mock at others. People who are religious are not approachable because they have this self-arrogant superiority, uh, you know, this super, uh, uh, you know, view about themselves that there's no one like them. I'm here, you're there, stay away. You want to be part of the elite group, then you have to join the holy club. And this is why Simon uh, the Pharisee uh, almost had a heart attack when he saw a woman that was called a sinner come and touch Jesus. He almost fell over, had a heart attack. He couldn't understand how he would allow a sinner to come to touch Jesus. And so people who are self-confident, righteous and arrogant, uh, not only live a, a, a life of adultery, worshipping self, but they have this attitude, listen to this, that irritates God and makes him sick. Isaiah speaks about it in Isaiah 65 verse 5, which says, Stand by thyself, come not near to me, for I am holier than thou. These are, look at this, these are smoke in my nose, a fire that burneth all the day. 
Now, let me ask you a question. Are we supposed to abhor that which is evil? Absolutely. That's the disposition of someone that is holy in, in respect of uh, God's standard and, and, and they know that they have uh, attained to God's righteousness by faith and they don't want to touch the unclean thing. They want to despise that which is evil, do that which is good, and no problem. We're not talking about a Christian that ought to live out their uh, faith but we're talking about someone that's not saved trying to earn God's favor, justify themselves by themselves, by uh, looking down at others and comparing themselves. We'll see that in a moment. And trying to get right with God. It's self-display. It was all outward conformity. The heart is not transformed. The heart is not uh, simply regenerated. It's religion. It's a show. It's a, it's a put-on, if you will. Because you know what? The Bible does say, be ye holy, for I am holy. But who does he say that to? Christians. Christians that have been justified by faith alone. Christians that are not trying to be a hypocrite or put on a show or be religious. People that have been right with God through Jesus Christ. Now, this person wasn't right with God. This person was self-righteous, thinking that his righteousness will make him right with God and, and cancelling out the things of, of God. Now, I want you to see, if you will, the characters in this parable. Have a look at verse 10 to 13. Jesus compares two different classes of people, the Pharisee with the publican. He says, two men went up to the temple to pray, the one a Pharisee and the other a publican. Now the first person Jesus addresses is the Pharisee first. A Pharisee was a re religious Jewish leader who would set the example of how to live out the law. Well, he was supposed to set the example. And uh, they did an awful job at it, at least some of them did. And from verses uh, 11 to 12, we see the demonstration of a religious Pharisee. Uh, he communes with himself. Look at verse 11. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus within himself, God, I thank thee. So a religious person is one that uh, is not really connected with God. They don't really have a relationship with God. Do they pray? Yes. You know, I used to be very religious, but so lost. I used to pray the Our Father. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And, and I used to pray it over and over again. And, but you know what? Christians can be brought up in a Christian home and pray without having a relationship with God. Any religious person in any religious upbringing can be taught to pray, uh, but they have no connection with God. There's no heart to heart. There's no... Uh, communion with God, it's just you're talking to yourself. How many people talk to themselves in prayer without having a vibrant, intimate relationship with God? This man was communing with himself. He was not praying to God at all. He had, a, he had no connection. It was a public show. And Jesus addresses this regarding the Pharisees, trying to teach his disciples, hey listen, I don't want you to pray like these religious rulers. Don't pray to be seen. And this is what the religious rulers were doing in Mark chapter, uh, Matthew 6, verse 5. He says, when thou prayest, thou shalt not be as the who? As the who? The hypocrites. For they love to pray standing in the synagogue and in the corners of the street. Now, you ever wonder why they were standing on the corner of the street and praying? So they can be seen from both angles. Because the Bible says right there, that they may be seen of who? Men. You see, this Pharisee was all put on. It was all showy. People go and do their religious thing, not for God, 
but for themselves. It's all for a show. And so men can praise them. And so men can look at them and say, wow, look at this person and how wonderful this person is. And that's all they did it for. Religious uh, people praise themselves. They didn't praise God. They praise God for themselves. This is what this man did. Uh, uh, the Pharisee stood and prayed, it, it, thus within himself, God, which God are you referring to? <laughs> God, I thank thee. That's how it looks, folks, in this parable. It doesn't look like, God, thank you. Thank you that you've saved me. Thank you that you've you, you pulled me out of the miry clay and set my foot upon a rock and established my goings. Thank you, Lord God. Thank you that you put a new song in my mouth. I praise you that you're cleansing my ways. No, thank you. Thank, oh, thank you that I'm not like other men. See, again, this is all about himself. It's all about religion. This is a man that loves himself more than loving God. By the way, this is the growing symptom, sin in the last days. That men, the Bible says, uh, in the last perilous times shall be what? Lovers of themselves more than lovers of God. And that's why the New Age movement, the spirituality concept of, of, of yoga and all the rest of it, it's all about geared up to yourself. It's about you and your energy and your power and you and you and you. It's all about this. It's nothing got to do with praying to God, the God of heaven, and seeking the God of heaven. It's just an outward show and it's about this themselves. Second of all, he compared himself. Not only he communed with himself, but actually he compared himself with others. Look at verse 11. The Pharisees stood and prayed, thus within himself, God, I thank thee that I am not as other men. You see, he compared himself. And religious people do that. They compare themselves with others. And this is very common. People compare themselves with others to what? Justify themselves. They justify themselves. Well, I'm not, that, I'm not as bad as... Well, he wasn't even saying that. I'm not as bad as, but people do that. They look at the sins of others in comparison to their own life and think, well, I'm not doing that bad. I'm not like that murderer in prison. I'm not like that prostitute on the corner. As a matter of fact, Jesus said to the Pharisees that they're the prostitutes, the publicans, the tax collectors, like this man here, and the harlots will enter into heaven and you won't. Why? Because they're more prone to see their sin than the Pharisee that is full of himself. You see, those that are down and out and can know and understand that they're sinful have a better chance in entering to the kingdom of God and have everlasting life than a religious person. Because a religious person thinks he doesn't need anything. He doesn't need God's favor. He's, he's a goody two-shoes. Uh, he doesn't need God's mercy. He's got it all, you know, uh, together. His eyes are dotted. His T's are crossed. He's, he's, he, he's polished. He, first of all, he compares himself to others in regards to what he does not do. And there are three things that he points out, three sins he points out. In verse 11, he says, I thank thee that I'm not as other men are. Look at this, extortioners, unjust, and adulterers. Or even as this publican. Now, an extortioner is one that is like a thief, like Zacchaeus. He's a standover man. Uh, he takes the possessions of others by force. So this is someone that we would call a standover man today. I will force that person to give it all up. It's almost like today when someone has an armed robbery. He's an extortioner. He's a thief, an extortioner, forcing to people to pay up. Today we call them standover man. That's what an extortioner is. Second of all, he says unjust. Oh, thank God I'm not just 
extortioner, standover man, but thank God, oh, uh, I'm, not, I'm not like uh, an unjust man. What's an unjust man? Well, he's like a liar. An unjust man deals deceitfully. An unjust man doesn't deal in an honest way. He doesn't trade in an honest way. He doesn't deal in an honest way. He's dishonest. And then the next one he talks about is an, is an adulterer. That's someone that's been unfaithful in their marriage covenant. Now, there are only three sins that he mentions here. How many commandments do we find in the Ten Commandments? <laughs> I said it. Ten. But there's a lot more than that. There's a lot more than the Ten Commandments. And sure, there's a lot more than these three here. Uh, I would say this. As he said, thank you, Lord, that uh, God, that I'm not like as other men, like uh, extortioners and unjust and uh, adulterers. And this man could assume the fact that he was saying, this man is an extortioner, hence being a tax collector, an unjust and an adulterer. But how does he know that? He's assuming that. We'll get there in a moment. What sins did he miss out? Maybe that was his strength, but what about his sins? He was comparing himself to the publican. But why don't you compare yourself with yourself and see that you too, Mr. Pharisee, religious man, are full of extortion and sin and excess in your own heart. But see, he was comparing himself with someone else. That's the problem. But when you look deep down and see and reflect and the things that you have done in your past and the things that you have thought, you'll come undone. As a matter of fact, Jesus exposed them for the sin of covetousness. Jesus said in Luke 16, 14, and the Pharisees also who were covetous heard all these things and they derived him. And he said unto them, ye are they, look at this, look at this word, which what? What's that word there? Verse 15 says, Ye are they which justify yourselves before men. But look at this. But God knoweth your hearts. For what is highly esteemed among men is an abomination in the sight of God. You look down at the publicans and say, Yes, they're standover. Yes, they're unjust. But what about you? You're greedy, you're lustful, you're covetous. And the more you think you have, the more well off you think you are, and the more godly you are, that's an abomination to God because that's wrong thinking. We saw that last week, didn't we? What about this, the eye of adultery? That's why Jesus said on the Sermon on the Mount, but I say unto you that whosoever looketh upon a woman has committed adultery already with her in his where? Huh, what about that? And this is why Jesus brings that on the Sermon on the Mount, because he knew that for the most part, the religious people kept the law, uh, and they, uh, in comparison to the Gentiles who were flippant about this, but in their heart, they were full of adultery. And Jesus hits the nail on the head. Every single person has a wicked heart, and they think about those wicked things, especially when they get older and they get exposed to wicked things. It's in the heart, for out of the heart are the issues of life. Out of the heart comes wickedness and adulteries. And you just have to think it and you're guilty. So religious people 
uh, just seem put on a show and they despise others and they look at the sins of others without realizing what sin that they've committed. They compare themselves so they can make themselves feel good. They don't understand, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. They don't understand the mercy of God upon a sinner that repents. They, they, they think, well, I haven't done this, and I haven't done this, and I haven't done this. Well, what about the things that you have done? Instead of looking at the things that you haven't done, what about the things that you have done? Have you ever lied before? Have you ever stolen something? Have you ever used God's name in vain? Have you ever desired something that didn't belong to you? Have you ever thought evil, wicked thoughts about people? See, we're not just like this publican. We're, we're, we could be worse than a publican. If you search deep in your heart, you'll see and find out that you are not as good as you think. You're just a sinner that needs God's mercy. Every one of us. From the murderer to the churchgoer. Every one of us. The problem is that people don't see themselves the way God sees them. That's the problem. But if you were to see yourself the way God sees you, you'll come to find out that you're not doing pretty good. That you are a wicked sinner, not just a sinner. Listen, friend, you are a wicked sinner. I met a man yesterday and tried to witness to him about the Lord Jesus Christ. He reckons he trusted Christ at a young age. I said, you're walking with the Lord now? He says, he is. I said, you going to church? He goes, no, I don't need to go to church. I said, but Jesus said, uh, you know, that he would build his church and the gates of hell should not prevail against it. And we, we have a people <clears throat> that are caught out of darkness from the world and they come into fellowship and they love the Lord and we want to sing to God. Won't you want to be with God's people to sing to God? He goes, oh, no, I do that my own way. Well, that's your way. You're right. You said it. You do it your own way and you're not doing it God's way. He goes, I'm sorry to change the subject, but I'm trying to look for this restaurant. Can you help me? I looked up my phone and went to the maps. And sure enough, I directed him to a restaurant that was in an alleyway. And then we spoke some more. I said, come on, let's just be, uh, you know, get to the bottom of this. And I tried to use the law to get him lost so he could see his need for a savior. I said, you ever lied before? He said, oh, no. I said, come on, man. And his wife was standing right next to him. You haven't lied. And so anyway, I spoke some more about the law and then I went, oh, what about drinking? Have you ever been drunk? And his wife said, oh, just a couple of times. I said, oh, okay, well, a couple of times. I said, well, what about, what about you treating your wife? Have you ever mistreated your wife? And he said, no. And his wife went. <laughs> I didn't mean for them to get in the argument that night, but I'll tell you one thing. Men are liars. They're just, the heart is deceitful and desperately wicked. Who can know it? They're experts in deceiving themselves and thinking that they're all good. But when another man searches thee by the light of God's law, you'll come to find out that you're not all that. And this man thought he was all that. And God was trying to deal with people in this parable that think that they're all that. And uh, second of all, I want you to see that religious people have an act, uh, accusing attitude. Uh, once again, he said, or even as, thank you God that I'm not even as this publican. Now, how does he know that this publican was living in sin? How does he know that this publican wasn't repentant? I mean, he was there praying. 
How does he know that he, was, he didn't have a relationship with God? How does he know? Does he know him personally? Did he, call, did he catch him uh, in the act of doing something? No, he was a publican. And, and for the most part, the Pharisees looked down at publicans, tax collectors, because uh, the majority of them were corrupt. They were in that day. But how do you know that this one was corrupt? Now, again, we'll look at the publican in a, in a moment, because he knew and understood his own sins, hence he comes to the Lord and asks him for mercy. But you, Mr. Pharisee, how do you know what he's done? You're perhaps assuming. Or perhaps you don't want to be a tax collector. Uh, you're a priest, or maybe, a, sorry, excuse me, a Pharisee. You're one of the elites, part of the Sanhedrin. No one can approach you. you just got, you, and so he looked down at other people, but, and even the Jews looked down at Samaritans. As a matter of fact, they wouldn't go through Samarita, 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 uh, they would go around Samaria to get to where they need to go. Why? Because they despise the Samaritans. Jesus went straight to the Samaritan woman, knowing her need, although he knew that uh, she had five's husband, he said to the disciples, I must needs go through Samaria. Why? To approach a sinner that was thirsty, looking for something that Jesus had. <laughs> You see, Pharisees don't give any hope to people. They don't. There's no mercy. They're, they're, just, they're just cut and dry. They're just... Listen, uh, God forbid that any Christian will have a pharisaical attitude even after they're saved. Having a pharisaical attitude is holier than now attitude is one of the worst things that could ever happen to your mercy and compassion that comes from the Spirit of God in your soul winning. I tell you, if you don't remember where you were when God found you, then you're done. And so this Pharisee had an accusing attitude. Second of all, he, sorry, uh, thirdly, he compares himself with not only what he doesn't do, but with what he does. He says, I fast, verse 12, I fast how many times? Twice, not one time, but twice. Commendable. Wow. Wow. Oh, I fast two times a week. And I give tithes of all that I possess. Religious people boast in their own good works. That's what they do. Now, fasting was a good thing. As a matter of fact, it should be done in a proper manner, in, in such a way where you're, you're not eating food. Uh, because you want uh, to draw close to God in a prayer request and you afflict yourself for a purpose and show uh, discipline, but it was never ever to be publicly announced in, in such a way where, where people would know that you're fasting or, or, or unless you're proclaiming a fast together uh, as a church for a reason or whatever. Uh, but on the other hand, let me just say this, fasting is a healthy thing that would get you to pray more earnestly if it's done correctly. It was never to be put on for a show. And Jesus dealt with this. As a matter of fact, he taught his disciples about fasting. He uses the Pharisees as an example of how they should not fast. Have a look at Matthew chapter 6 on the Sermon on the Mount again. He says, moreover, when ye fast, look at this, be not as the who? The hypocrites. They have a sound countenance, for, their, uh, for they disfigure their faces, that they may appear unto men to what? Now, there's two problems here. I think the first problem, number one, is they make themselves to look sad. Why? 
So someone can ask him, what's wrong? Oh, I'm not eating. Second of all, they disfigure. In other words, they make their face look like they're fasting, but perhaps they're not really fasting. Perhaps they're eating at home and in public they look like they're fasting. This is a hypocrite. And Jesus is dealing with this. He says, verily I say unto you, they have their reward. And he goes on to say, but thou, when thou fastest, anoint thy head and wash thy face. Look clean, look anoint, look like you're fresh. Don't even look like that you've been fasting. That they may appear not, look, look at this, verse 18, that thou appear not unto men to fast. But this Pharisee, just not only to man, but to God. Hey, God, I fast. Well, you don't have to tell God that. He knows if you're doing it correctly. Amen. But again, giving was another thing here. He said he talks about how faithful he's been giving. And again, giving is something that God, you know, no doubt, uh, t teaches us to do. But he boasts in his giving. He says, I give tithes of all that I possess. And, uh, and, and, and in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus again, he hammers it on its head. Matthew chapter 6, verse 1, he says, Take heed that you do not your arms before men to be what? To be seen of them. Here it is. Otherwise you have your reward uh, of your Father which is in heaven. He says, Therefore when thou doest arms, do not sound the trumpet before thee as the hypocrites do in the synagogue and in the streets. So in other words, they're in the streets, in the synagogue, sounding a trumpet. I'm about to give money in the treasury box, everybody. Have a look. Did you see me? Who does that? Well, people can do that. I think one of the, the, one of the worst things that the Catholic Church ever brought in was the open, open plate. Now, the open plate was there for a purpose, so you can fall into this stigma. Yeah, so you're not embarrassed and so all of a sudden you don't want to put coins in an open plate. Oh, you sure don't want to give your, your, your coins in an open plate. You want, to, you want to give like notes and you want to make sure when you put it in the open plate, people are seeing when it's passed. You want to make sure you do that. I think it's the worst thing that ever happened. It gave people to give out of manipulation. But even when you do it correctly and you have a little box in the corner, someone can still do it with a bad heart. An open plate, someone can still do it correctly. I mean, they're not wanting to be seen, and they, but people yet are seeing. Uh, they've, they've set him up for it or whatever. It's the heart that God is trying to reach. It's the heart that is absolutely corrupted. It is a heart that's full of bad motives. And what's the bad motive? Trying to earn God's favor by good works. Even though we are guilty sinners. Trying to get to heaven by doing good even though we're guilty sinners. And so what this religious person doesn't understand is that, that, that a person can never, ever, ever be justified by works any kind. You say, why? Okay, let me ask you this. How many works does it take? How many works does it, does it take in order for you to be justified before God? Who's the judge of that? If God is looking for perfection. See, even the works of this man was tainted. He had works, but it was corrupted. Why? Because the heart was bent. 
The heart had a bad, evil motive to boast and bring glory to self. Romans chapter 3, verse 20, the Bible says, Therefore, by the deeds of the law, there shall no man, no flesh be justified in the sight, in his sight. For by the law is the knowledge of what? Sin. So that the, the Ten Commandments is the very thing that exposes my sin. If I'm trying to keep the law to get right with God, I'm only going to be condemned because I've broken the law. You've broken the law. Everyone's broken the law. Uh, Ephesians uh, 2 verse 8, For by grace, the Bible says, are you saved? Through faith, and that not of yourself, it is the gift of God, not of what? Why? Lest any man should what? God doesn't want anybody to get up to heaven and say, you know what? I'm getting in because I've done this, I've done that, and I've done that. How wonderful am I? No. What do you mean how wonderful you are? Did you know that your works, if you're trying to add to the finished work of Christ, or even just work to get you to the way to heaven, uh, uh, undermines the grace of God? It frustrates the grace of God. That's what Paul says. In Galatians chapter 2, verse 21, he says, I do not frustrate the grace of God, for if righteousness came by the law, then Christ is dead in what? Now, let me ask you this. Did Christ die for nothing? No, he died for sinners. Jesus suffered and died on the cross to justify sinful men, even religious people. And so if we say, well, I'm going to justify myself by what I do, we're saying that we don't need this. And if you try to add to the finished work of Christ, you're saying that the work that Jesus did wasn't perfect. I was perfect. It's sufficient. He said when he died on that cross before he died, he said, it is what? Finished. What's finished? The down payment for our justification. Jesus paid it all and all to him I owe. Jesus shed his blood on that cross to die for your sin, your sin, and my sin, put him on that cross. If you think that you can get to heaven by being in church today, you're wrong. If you, can, if you think that you can get to heaven by giving money to the poor, you're wrong. If you think that you can get to heaven by being uh, simply uh, 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 someone that tries to keep the law and keep the Sabbath and keep this and keep that to get to heaven, you're wrong. The only way you and I can ever get to heaven and be justified in God's eyes is by being broken before God and receiving Jesus Christ of our Savior for our sin. The only way to get to heaven is by the mercy of God. Now we see this in verse 13. Jesus used the second person as a contrast to how, uh, uh, what God would simply receive and what kind of person he simply wants. And this is the publican here. What we see in the publican is is that he was not boastful. He wasn't communion with him, communing with himself. He, he wasn't even uh, comparing himself. Have a look. First of all, in verse 13, we see he was contemptible. You say, what's that word mean? In other words, when someone sees themselves unworthy or disgraceful. That's what that means. That's what contemptible means. It means when um, they come before God in disgrace, and humility, and they're, they're just unworthy. I can show it. It says it here in verse 13, the publican standing afar off. 
He wouldn't even go near, if you will, to that inner court, perhaps the temple, would not, he, he, and, and would not lift up so much as his eyes unto heaven. What does that mean? If his eyes are not lifted up like the Pharisee, oh, right? And by the way, there's nothing wrong with praying to God, and you're, you're, but over here, we see a disposition of someone that is getting right, right with God. And if someone's getting right with God, they have their head bowed in what? Shame. They're shameful. Why are they shameful? Because they understand that they've sinned against the holy God. And they're disgusted with what God has revealed to them. And that God has revealed a dirty heart, a wicked heart, a sinful heart. And when you come to that knowledge, my friend, and when you realize that you are wicked and you're a sinner and the things that you've done that you're ashamed of to even speak about, you would bow your head before God and you won't so much lift up your eyes before heaven and you'd come in this disposition. By the way, this disposition is a disposition of the prodigal son. Remember the prodigal son in Luke 15, 21? And he said, son, and the son said unto his father, Father, look at this. What did he say the first thing? I have what? What is it? I have? I have sinned. Now the Pharisee didn't admit he was a sinner now, did he? Are you willing, if you're not saved here today, listen to me very carefully. Are you willing to admit that you are a sinner? I'm not just saying like the common man out there, when you tell them, are you a sinner? Some of them say, yeah, I am. Everyone is and they glory in it. I'm not saying that way. I'm saying, would you admit, my friend here today, that you are a sinner and you bow your head before God and you say, yes, I'm a sinner. He says, I have sinned against heaven. And, and he says this, and in thy sight, and look at this, and I am no more, what's that word there? Worthy to be called thy son. I'm not worthy. I'm not worthy to be God's child. I'm not worthy to go to heaven. That is what God is looking for. Friends, that's the disposition that God is looking for. Someone that sees themselves unworthy. Today we have a movement today that doesn't even uh, uh, simply care about this disposition. They say, all you've got to do is just believe in Jesus. Well, the devil believes. The devil believes. And they don't follow Jesus. They're not broken over their sin, are they? No. It's not enough just to believe with a mental consent that Jesus uh, died and rose again on the third day. Uh, that, that's good. That's historical events that you're consenting to. We affirm, I believe that account. But to make it personal... You must say he died for me. Personal. And therefore, I see myself to be unworthy. Why? Because I'm coming before the throne of grace. And now you'll see him ask for mercy. And asking God who is merciful to have mercy. Not only he had a contemptible disposition, but he had a contrite disposition. Have a look. 
He smote upon his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me. A what? There it is. You can almost see him come. God, have mercy upon me, a sinner. That is, what you see there, what Jesus is depicting, is a repentant heart. How many people running around today, oh, I'm, I'm saved, I'm born again, I'm saved, I'm going to heaven, and they don't have this. They're proud. You say, how do you know they're proud, Charlie? How do you know? Have you been in their home or this or that? By the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. It's, it's their theology. It's what they tell me. If I tell them that you need to be broken before God and see yourself a sinner before God, have you done that? No, well, the Bible said just believe. I understand that. But what kind of faith do you have? Because a faith that really sees God for who he is, will come and bow before him. Because we're creatures created to worship God. And the fall of Adam and Eve causes us to worship self. We are not raised up in such a way where we automatically want to worship God. We are bent to do evil. People, are, The flesh brings you up to worship yourself. Have a look. Look around. Look here. You love yourself? I had to admit to God and say, yeah, I did. I love my flesh. I wanted to pamper my flesh with all different kind of things. Sex, drugs and rock and roll was my ungodly thing. And that day, 20 years ago, my friend, I bowed my head before God and I said, God, have mercy upon me, a sinner. I was broken before God, realizing that only God can save me through Jesus Christ. My disposition didn't save me. I wasn't even fo focusing on my disposition. It was automatic when I saw the God of heaven exposing my heart that, Charlie, you're a sinner. And I agreed with God that day. You know what confession means? That you agree with God. I agreed with God. I said, yes, I am. But that wasn't all. I bowed my head and heart like David. See, this person had a disposition like David. What did David say? The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit and a broken and contrite heart. Look at this. O God, they, thou will not what? Wow. In other words, God's not going to resist that. God's not going to despise that. God's going to embrace that attitude when you come before God and you're crushed and you're grounded to powder. Your heart is condemning you and, you. and you say, God, I deserve what I get, like that thief on the cross. Remember that thief on the cross? When one thief said, you know, save us and save yourself, and the other thief said to him, don't you fear God? We deserve what we get. I'm just paraphrasing. This man has done nothing wrong. And he looked at him and said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. That's humility. He admitted that he was a sinner. He acknowledged the Savior and he called upon him. 
Have you done that? Can you really honestly say that you have called upon the name of the Lord in this disposition and asked Jesus Christ to save you from your sin? If you haven't, you can do it today when you go home. It's a beautiful thing. It's wonderful. Uh, I want you to see the central truth as we close. Have a look at the central truth of the parable. Look at verse 14. What's the main thing that Jesus wants us to know about the thi- the, 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 uh, regarding this parable and the things that pertain unto justification and also eternal life? He says in verse 14, he says, I tell you, this man went down to his house. What's that word? Justified. What, what man? Well, the publican. The publican that was crushed before God humble before God, broken before God, realized that he was unworthy, wouldn't even lift up his head, smote upon his breast. God says, he's justified. He's declared innocent in my eyes. He's asked for mercy. He's come to me. And so to to, to actually relay that means that God is merciful and God has justified the guilty sinner. Justification means like as if you've never sinned. You stand before God declared innocent because of God's mercy given to you through his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. He's justified, not the religious man, not the one that says, look at me, how great I am, and look what I've done. He's not justified before God. That man's going to be condemned one day. And he continues to say that he went to his house justified rather than the other. So here's the truth here. Here it is. Here's the root of the problem. For everyone that exalteth himself shall be abased, and he that humbleth himself shall be exalted. Are you saying to me that Jesus is preaching a works-based gospel? He's saying now you have to humble yourself in order for you to be justified. I thought it was faith. Is humbling yourself a work, brethren? Or is it a disposition of the heart? It's an attitude, isn't it? Pride is an attitude. And so what's the prideful man do? Work, 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 work for his salvation. Look at me. Look what I've done. What's the humble man do? One that acknowledges that he's unworthy before God and he asks God in a contrite spirit to forgive him. One that is broken. One that is crushed and humbled himself. Well, even, even a person today that says, I believe in Jesus. I'm going to heaven. How many people I see that on the street? <laughs> oh, yeah, I've known him ever since I was little. Went to Sunday school. <laughs> and, and, and then the, the carnal Christian that doesn't know anything about what Jesus is talking about says, yeah, 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 that man's still saved. Is Jesus advocating for sin when he uses this parable? Of course not. Read the epistles. Read the Sermon on the Mount. He's exposing the heart of man, saying that you cannot be self-righteous and you cannot be righteous before God by yourself because you're a sinner. He's not saying now that I've justified you, you publican, might as well go and continue to cheat man. Of course not. If this publican was doing what Zacchaeus did, he'll have the Zacchaeus attitude. I'm going to repay everyone I can think of that I've rewarded. That's repentance. Not for salvation, but because he's saved. Right? There's There's the beautiful fruit, if you will, of someone that's saved. But the disposition starts here. A repented heart. Broken. Listen. 
Humble. And God resists who? He gives grace to who? There it is. And Jesus said very clearly that except you be converted and become a little child or children, you shall not enter the kingdom of heaven. Whosoever therefore shall humble themselves as a little child, the same is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. A little child? Yeah, a child. Like mercy, if you will. She doesn't know. She, look, listen, if I was driving along one day in my car and I grabbed mercy and I said, okay, mercy, I'm going to put you on the side work now. Walk home. What do you think she would do? She would be screaming out of fear because she's away from her dependent father that is guiding her, leading her, helping her uh, with life, taking those steps, feeding her and shepherding her, if you will, as a father. That's how God wants us to be with him. Lord, I can't live without you. I'm a mess. I need you. Even my whole, my soul needs you. I, I can't live with, I need you, Lord. I need you to save me. I need you to shepherd me. I need you to order my steps. I need you. That's a humble disposition, like a child, dependent fully upon God, not upon himself. Not someone that trusts in themselves. Do you trust in yourself or you trust God? You trust God, come to Christ. Bow your head and heart and realize you're a sinner in need of a savior and call on him once and for all. If you're here and you've heard the message time and time again, stop procrastinating. What are you waiting for? What, 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 do, you, what do you want God to do? He's already spoken to your heart. He's telling you I love you. The Bible says in uh, Matthew chapter 20, verse 21, not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. But he who doeth the will of the Father which is in heaven. What's the will of the Father? That you come to Christ. That you believe on him and you follow Jesus. That's the will of the Father. Anyone can say, Lord, Lord. Anyone can pray. How many religious people pray today? How many? Listen, religious organization in Christendom there are today. And they go and pray, but they have no relationship with God. There's a big difference between religious works and a relationship with Jesus Christ. Titus chapter 3, verse 4, the Bible says, But after that the kindness and the love of God, our Saviour appeared toward men. Uh, sorry, our Saviour toward men appeared, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but how? But by his what? Mercy. He what? There you go. You know what, what, what Paul's reminding Timothy, Tim, uh, Titus? Paul is reminding Titus that we were saved by God's kindness, love, demonstrated by his mercy, exhibited through his son. The only way. But many will say unto me that in that day, but Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not preach? And in your name cast out devils, and in your name do many wonderful things. And I will profess unto them, what's that word here? What, what's that word? I never knew. Wow. Can you imagine hearing that? When you get to heaven, and, 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 and if it were, you're trying to knock because the door's closed, you're thinking, how, how am I not in the kingdom of God? And you're knocking and the door opens, and he says, who are you? I don't know you. I've never had a relationship with you, but I'm a preacher. 
But, but I, I was in the deliverance ministry. I cast out devils. Oh, but the, all the wonderful things I've done to humanity, don't you remember, Lord? God, and God looks at that and says, I don't know you. Because you know why? Because you don't know my son. You haven't come to him that you may have life and may have it more abundantly. You're a self-righteous. You are self-confident. You're arrogant. You're trusting in your works. You're prideful. You look down at others. You haven't tasted the grace of God. You haven't bowed your head before the Lord and called upon him for mercy and grace. I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. What a sad moment to hear that in that day. Terrible. Do you have a relationship with the Lord? Or do you have religion? Do you have nothing? An atheist? Worship yourself? The only way that you and I can ever have a relationship with, a true intimate relationship with God, get it, don't, don't miss it, is through Jesus Christ. Jesus is the door to heaven. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the what? There it is, eternal life. No man cometh to the Father but by him. He is the ark of today. Back in the day they had Noah's ark, one door into salvation. Escape the judgment, destruction. Eight people got saved that day. Majority of the world, see you later. As it was in the days of Noah, so it shall be in the days of the Son of Man. No different today. Did you know that Jesus said, wide is the gate that leads to destruction and many enter, enter in thereat and, and narrow is the road that leads to life and only a few there be that find it? Please, I beg you today, be that few. Don't be a statistic. The only way into a loving relationship with God is through Jesus Christ. And the only way that you can come is have this disposition like the publican. Unworthy, broken, asking for God, God's mercy, calling on the Lord Jesus to save you from your sin. You ever done that? If you haven't, you can do it today. Prideful religion will take you to hell. It's true. A humble relationship with God through Jesus Christ will take you to heaven. That's true. In John chapter 17, verse 3, Jesus said, this is life eternal. What is life eternal? What is it? That they might know thee, God, the only true God, the Father, and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. Do you know him? Are you known of him? If you want to know more, I'm more than happy to sit down with an open Bible and show you more scripture and how you can be forgiven and have a home in heaven. Amen? Let's pray.